Hey, come on in, or come on out, actually, to the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House. Just finished a wonderful hour with travel writer Roger Naylor. If you missed it, go back and catch it on podcast. It'll make you want to get outside and play. But today we're going to get out and work in the garden. And we have our um, resident master gardener, Jay Harper, in studio with us this morning. He's always there to watch our backs in the garden hour because Rosie and I... We have, we have great intentions. Why John, is it playing when you're hiking and working when you're gardening? <laughs> yeah. if, oh, am I wrong? Well, I guess it depends on your... Well, you I know, think it if you want more sick. people to garden, you don't call it work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. If you've I got, do love being in the garden. If, I, you, if you have a question about your lawn or garden, you know the lines are open at one 767 We'll take any calls about any questions you've got in regards to your lawn, garden, trees, or hedges with John Jay and a special guest. Uh, we have Miss Joyce Reichner of Oro Valley. She's the educator, educative, education coordinator, there it is, of the Oro Valley Historical Society. And we met Joyce when we went to Oro Valley for the Historical Society was convention or and um, conference conference and we she was at the steam pump ranch down in the heritage garden and we were just intrigued so we invited her to come on this morning with us good morning joyce good morning thank you for having me we were we were walking the garden walking the property and uh you were doing a presentation in the garden there was the archaeologist doing the presentation about throwing the adolatle (laughs) adolatle i love saying the word adolatle uh and i thought Jennifer, we've got to get these people on air. So thank you so much for making the drive up from Tucson to join us today. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. You're you're there at the Steam Pump Ranch, which is a property Oro, the town of Oro Valley has purchased. Yes, yes. The Steam Pump Ranch is this beautiful oasis right in the heart of Oro Valley. And it's located right underneath the Santa Catalina Mountains and it's uh, got the Cañada de Oro wash there, and it's actually the historic birthplace of Oro Valley. A German immigrant came there in 1874 named George Push, and the mountain, Push Ridge, is named after him. And he sunk a well, he hand-dug a well, and powered it with one of the only steam pump-powered uh, steam pumps in the state of Arizona, it was mesquite-fueled, and he brought the water up, and then it became really a center, a gathering place for all the cattle ranchers, the um, stagecoach, the military. Everybody went to Old Steam Pump Ranch, and the Oro Valley Historical Society and the town of Oro Valley and others worked really hard to preserve that 15-acre property, and we've been working hard to restore it and bring the community there and work on programs, and we are continuing to make it a a beautiful place. Now, is it open to the public at regular hours, or did we just get to tour it as a part of attending that historic conference? Well, it is open to the public, but we have regular programs on every second Saturday. There's also a farmer's market every Saturday from 9 to 12, and then we have special events. The town of Oro Valley puts on uh, harvest festivals. We have Settlers Day festivals, all kinds of amazing events, which are seasonal. Um, 
but we are working, we do give tours of the historic restored push house, and that is on second Saturdays. We were fortunate the weekend we were there. I think it was actually a great-granddaughter of yes. the Pushes was actually the, the docent there giving us a tour of the house she remembered as a child. That's right. That's right. That was Barbara McIntyre, and we do our best to, we, we've had, we had funds to, it's at, in the beginning, to restore the entire property, but then with the recession came, the funds were turned back to the state, and so we only had enough funds to restore the push house. So there's many other buildings on the property, but the push house is fully restored, and we do have uh, tours there with the Oro Valley Historical Society. We do art shows, children's art shows, community art shows, and things like that. Now, John Jay, I know you've driven by the ranch a million times. Had you ever pulled in? No. Never did? No. Yeah. <clears throat> Shame on me, but I have not. Well, now that you're on the road a lot more, you'll have occasion to get down there. I You've will. got to pull in and see Joyce's garden. I'm going to make a point of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Good. Well, I love it when other gardeners come and visit because it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So how do you carve out this historic property, an idea, to do a garden? Well, because the funds to restore the entire property were returned and we weren't able to access them, I've been a gardener all my life, and I thought, well, you know, restoring buildings is one part of preservation, but there was always plants and landscaping. So let's do a garden and do preservation through a garden. And um, there's a master plan to have all kinds of gardens, a territorial garden, a historic rose garden, um, pioneer garden, and also some Spanish colonial uh, trees. But I started with uh, the Native American Heritage Garden, and that is what's called a Three Sisters Garden. So I, remember, I remember that. You remember. I remember that. <laughs> and the concept of the Three Sisters. The concept of the Three Sisters is what all... Uh, Native American tribes in North America and Central America use is a combination of corn or maize, beans, and squash. And they work together to help each other grow. And they've been growing for ancient many, many years. And different tribes use different kinds of uh, varieties. But the corn, you plant the corn first, and then after about it gets to be about six inches. You plant your bean in the same mound, and then the corn acts as a stalk so the bean can grow up the stalk, and then you plant your squash, and that will grow and provide a, a, a cover and a mulch. And um, the beans have, the tapere beans is what I grow in particular, have the ability to fix the atmospheric nitrogen in the air uh, they have nodules on their roots, and that gets the nitrogen to the corn, which is a heavy nitrogen feeder. So they work really well together, and that's why they call them three sisters. There, there were other crops that uh, were grown, uh, sunflower seeds, amaranth, devil's claw, cotton, tobacco, but the three sisters were the, the basic triad. Sometimes I, I do a lot of children's programs, and sometimes when the boys come in, they go, well, how come it can't be three brothers? And I say, it can be three brothers if you want, but the tradition <laughs> is three sisters. Well, I remember the concept, and I thought, you know, I just, I just like learning things like that. But, John Jay, I have to tell you, I was shamed 
by how much I didn't know. I did not know on an ear of corn <laughs> each kernel needed to be fertilized. Well, it you that, know, yeah, they're all little individual cells if you want to call it that. And so and one of the problems they have with corn when it gets too dry, the little they'll start using it, the moisture out of each one of those and they get a little it's called denting. So when you know they can't sell corn commercially once if it gets too dry or there's not enough moisture because it's called you know it gets dent. So it starts taking the moisture. So each one has its own little moisture reservoir as well. You talk about how the nitrogen in the root pod of the squash enhances the corn, the and then you start thinking about the corn, the beans, <laughs> and then the corn ear itself and how it's designed the way it is with all the parts talk us through that i mean i i I was i think i was uh, uh, i was like blushing when she was explaining (laughs) i never knew that well the uh the corn plant has a male and a female part and the male is the tassel and that's has the pollen and then the ear of the corn is the female part and it has silks that come out and the pollination period is really crucial and if you have uh, conditions that are not conducive to pollination, then you're not going to have a, a wealth. Uh, your ears are not going to have a lot of kernels, or you won't get a, a growing uh, ear at all. So the pollen in the morning, I like to help it. Uh, I'll tap the pollen, and um, it'll sprinkle down, and it falls exactly into the silks of the ear. And one silk needs one pollen grain. That travels down the tube to the embryo of the kernel, and that forms the kernel. Now, if if the weather is over 100 degrees, the pollen dies. It, it doesn't work. Or if it's really, really windy, uh, it, it doesn't work. So that period is very, very important. One of the things that people... Uh, maize or corn growers like myself do is we do successive plantings like every two weeks I'll do another planting so then you can kind of um, you know make sure that you have different periods where you can have optimal spread out the risk yes yeah, <laughs> and, out the and risk. don't you have to have a certain size of you know amount of corn to make it work you can't just buy one row, row. you can't grow one well row. It because be it needs you know because of the pollination process it's it's hard you don't want to plant just a single long row it needs to be in multiple rows or a clump Mm -hmm. for best pollination yes yeah and it is wind pollinated so that's really important it's it's important uh, to have probably at least a hundred plants and john's right you well in the kind of corn that i grow the maize that i grow ancient maize the it's called chapalote or reventador you want to have it uh, close together in clumps or, um, you know, like a, a grid garden, you can do it like that. But did you know every kernel needed a piece of pollen? No, but you've repeated it so many <laughs> times now to me <coughs> that I well, probably never forget. When you, when, you, when you shuck a corn, <laughs> an ear of corn, and you look at that and you think, That's amazing. who engineered that system? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, for me, it's nothing short of a miracle. Uh, it's just amazing, and it's it's. Uh, and the way the husk all open up to the pollen above, so exactly. as it falls, it kind of serves right. its own little trap and its own little funnel. 
bringing the pollen right into the silk. Exactly. It's a it's a really amazing design, and it's been maize is one of the ancient crops, and it's been grown in the southern Arizona region for four thousand years, over four thousand years. And we have uh, records of that from the archaeological record, in particular from Las Capas. There's lots. We're going we're gonna to come back and talk about all the different areas that we know have been inhabited all through that southern Arizona. We're here with John J. Harper to take your questions and join the conversation about landscaping and gardening. one 767 4348, as well, a special guest up from Tucson, Oro Valley, I guess is what you'd rather me say. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Joyce Rickner, the education coordinator for the Oro Valley Historic Society. Back in just a minute. The outdoor living segment of Rosie on the House. Rosie. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Gary D. here. Gary D. Well, I uh, just got a call from Bob in Tucson. Now, what he's going to tell me, I hope you're strapped in if this is true or false, and this is a question for Joyce. He wanted to know more about the historic Romero Ranch in Oro Valley. Oh. Did, did you know anything about that? A little, a little. Jennifer and I have hiked up to the Romero Ponds. Uh, I don't know much about the family. I do know I'm not related to Oh, them. you're not? No. Nope. Oh, <laughs> doggone it. <laughs> I have no claim to that side of the family tree. Oh. Joyce, do you know the Romero Ranch? Yes, I've heard about it. It's we in Oro Valley. We have quite a few historic and prehistoric, deep history archaeological sites, and Romero ruins is one of them. And it uh, uh, Francisco Romero built his house on top of ruins that were Hohokam ruins, and he was one of the first settlers in the area. And he tried to raise cattle there. He didn't stay there very long. There was a lot of um, Apaches that lived in the area that were wanted the cattle, and so there was quite a bit of of fighting. And um, so he he left eventually. His son came back after a while, but uh, it's Romero Ruin. It's a very rich and uh, important site. You should visit wow. it. Now that's north in, of you. That's, that's north Ca of Steam Pump, right? Yes, that's north in Catalina State Park. Right in the Catalina State Park. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the hike up to Romero Ponds is nice. It's it's a, it's a nice little mm -hmm. hike. So yeah. we're here with John J. Harper and Joyce Rickner, uh, who's joining us up from Oro Valley today. Uh, you were just about ready before we went to break, Joyce, talking about some of the archaeological fields of discovery that you have in about and around uh, southern Arizona. I tell people all the time that the more history I learn about Arizona, really south of the Gila River is about uh, 600 years of history before anything ever really kicked in north of. With, with the, as far as European occupation goes. Mm -hmm. And the amount of history in southern Arizona is just insurmountable. It's, it is so rich. Yes, it is. We have so many sites there, and that's why I think it's really important to preserve them and then educate the young people and the public about them. One of the oldest sites in the southern Arizona is called the Las Capas re, um, site, and it's off of I-10. And it's 4,000 years old, and they have found the oldest and most sophisticated irrigation system, canal system uh, in, during that era 
at Las Capas. And a lot of the work that I have done with the Heritage Garden, in particular the Ancient Crops Garden, is in conjunction with uh, Desert Archaeology and Archaeology Southwest. So um, Jenny Adams, who's a groundstone expert, uh, and I work together, and I actually grow the kind of corn, which is called chapalote, which is closest to what they found cobs in the archaeological site at Las Capas. So that's one amazing place, and we're still learning from them. And also there's another place. Now, is Las Capas the one that stopped the construction of the road and expansion of the water treatment facility in North Tucson? Uh, yes. It's right there off off of 10, right? Yes, right off of 10. Up mm-hmm. kind of, is it is it by Twin Peaks? By uh, Sweetwater. Sweetwater. Not far from the water treatment plant right there. Right. And exactly. they were going to expand that. Right. And the excavators started turning up all this stuff, and somebody caught on to it and said, this stuff we shouldn't be tearing up. That's right. And yeah. the whole construction of the water treatment expansion facility was put off several years while they were in there finding out how significant a site they had discovered. How incredibly significant. And the actual the field cells that we found at Las Capas were the inspiration for the, the formation of the garden that I grow at Steampump Ranch. They sunk their beds uh, deeply so that they could capture the water. And then they had a series of canals. In, in the Las Capas case, it was off of the Santa Cruz River. Uh, but the principle still is is remains the same. Of you want to collect your water, sink it into the oil, the earth, and then have earthen berms, and then have canals to direct your water. Another place that we have in Oral Valley is called the Honey Bee Village, and that's another amazing, amazing site. It's a, a Hohokam area, era, and um, we at Steampump Ranch have a replica of a pit house that you would find at, at Honeybee. And again, um, Archaeology Southwest will be coming on. And and they, Alan Denaria can tell you more about that. Yeah, we, Jennifer, you have him in about a month or so. Right, mid-December. Like that. uh, that'll be a hoot. I'm dying to learn how to throw an atlatl. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring an atlatl target to do it right here in studio. Well... <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, more when we get back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Outdoor Living Hour. Rosie on the house. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're having a great time. Uh, trying to decide if we're working or playing, but uh, I, I would tell Gary, <laughs> let that ro- let that let that roll, man. That sounds good. That'll yeah. put a tap in your toe right there. I like working in my garden. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, healthy way to spend time. I and do. I, love, I, I do love too. Sh- but you never agree with the tools I take out for the job. John Jab got two garden tools: <laughs> a flamethrower and a chainsaw. <laughs> Just doesn't work in my vegetable garden. I don't know what to tell you. So I've resorted to um, a big pot on the front porch, and I've just put a bunch of lettuce. And they're like <laughs> a little French kitchen garden because at least I'm out there. Um, so anyway, Jay, we have a couple questions here for you. We have uh, Kermie from Tucson. Can we bring him in, Gary? Let's see what his question is today. Kermie? Yes, I'm on the air. Hey, All yes, right. you are. How are you today? Yes, good morning. Hey, why don't you shoot your question to John Jay here? 
Sure. Um, one of my questions is we bought a uh, ficus benjamina a few years ago, and it started out at 6 feet, and now it's about 13 feet, and it's growing on a 12-foot um, patio. And we were looking at topping the tree, but we want to do it correctly. It's under the patio? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's probably where it needs to be if it's a ficus, any ficus in Tucson, but especially Benjamina, because it will not tolerate very much cold, and it doesn't like hot, direct sun too well either. So Sounds like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we all want it to be 85 all the time. Um, so uh, there's really not a big secret to that. Just treat it like a shrub. Don't take, what you don't want to do is let it, probably like what you've done, is let it get right up against the ceiling and then have to take a lot off. It would be better if you uh, kept it a little bit shorter. But but by doing that, you want to take off about a third of what it will grow next year. So a plant will grow about a third of its growth every year. So you can be pretty severe with it uh, and then let it recuperate and not have to be just shaping and cutting it all the time. Does that make sense? So yeah. what, what we probably want to do is take not just take four or five inches is what I'm saying and get it okay. just barely get it off the ceiling. You want to take it down maybe a foot or two, but you don't want to do that until next spring because it's not going to grow much with the weather getting cooler. So right now it would be just okay if it's bothering you that it's up against the ceiling to take just a little bit off. But next, about mid-February to mid-March next year, take a couple feet of it off so okay. that it can flush out and recuperate and rejuvenate is what we actually call it is a rejuvenation pruning and let it flush with new growth and then you're not having to take all of that new growth off because you didn't take enough off. Okay, the second question we have. I messed that one up. Sorry, Gary. He has a second question. Can we get him? Oh, <laughs> no. we hung him up. Oh, sorry, Kermy. Call us sorry, back. Sorry, Kermy, about that. <laughs> my, my fault. Hey, we know we have Miss Beverly here trying to get a gardenia to grow. Can we bring her up, please? Hey, Miss Beverly, how Hello? are you? Hey, how oh, are you? Hi. Um, I have a very nice gardenia pot. It's planted pot that is planted in the house, but it won't bloom. It's It grows beautifully, but it just won't bloom. Probably never will inside. It probably just doesn't get enough light. Oh. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So gardenias what, need If a f I put it outside, where would I put it? Well, put it where it gets some filtered sun or morning sun and afternoon shade. They need a they need some light or direct sun to bloom. Uh, we don't want to maybe They do. They do. Okay. Um well, it it's in it gets a lot of sun in through the window now. Um well, apparently not enough. <laughs> I guess not. Okay. Not so as much as you might think. Put it, outside. it would it would have a better chance of blooming outside. Gardenias can be a little tough here in Phoenix oh, yeah. to grow, but in a container, in a pot is probably best. They like really good drainage. They like slightly acidic soil conditions. Um, okay. And they don't want to be on a very hot, dry, windy condition because that will actually take the buds and dry them up before they have a chance to open up. So I see. Okay. Okay, I'll try that. All right. Thanks Thank for you. the call, Miss Beverly. Thanks, Miss Beverly. Hey, will you guys be patient with me and let me bring Kermie back since I chopped <laughs> Yes, Kermie right. is back. He okay. has a second question. Sorry about that, Kermie. Uh, the second question is dealing with the mesquite tree. It's okay. about uh, four years old, but we have rabbits that like to eat almost everything, and they've eaten about the uh, bottom foot of bark off the tree. Okay. off the trunk 
I was wanting to see if there's any way oh. we might be able to save it. All the way around or part half of All it? All the or? way around. Uh, probably not. Um, unfortunately, they've, they've more than likely what we call girdled that. And it, it probably, even if it does continue to grow, will always be a little weaker and suspect to different things. I would, I would just cut your losses early in the game since it isn't okay. huge and yet. It's not a tree in the yard, so it's not one that we're using for shade. Okay. Well, then if it's not in a critical spot, I'll just let it go and see what happens. Um, what you could do is get uh, what we call a tree guard or an arbor guard, which is just a little plastic yep. sleeve that we, we actually use trees that are in lawn situations to keep the guys with the weed eaters from doing exactly what the rabbits have done to that so that they can't any further maybe damage that. Um, you might even use a little pruning sealer on there to, to kind of seal that up to keep any moisture from getting in there and disease from getting inside that. That's, that's what's going to probably do it in. Now, see, you and I come at that from two completely different directions. I would have given him a recipe for rabbit stew. <laughs> so okay. I didn't. Know, I didn't know bunnies. That's fair enough. <laughs> that's okay. I have no problem with that. That's so where your atlatl will come in. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> I didn't know bunnies would do that, but I do know bunnies love vegetable gardens. So what? What do people eat do? about anything? I guess so. I guess so. They what, really will. What can people be doing in their vegetable garden right now, Jay? Well, right now we're right in the thick of our cool season vegetable planting, you know, and um, we talked about successive plantings. It's a great idea to plant a little bit of lettuce and spinach and greens and then come back a couple weeks later and do that again in a couple weeks so that you have all went because it's a very long season. We've got now until May, really, to grow those types of crops. So you can have all kinds of uh, successions of greens, uh, and, and of root crops. And, and the problem is if you do it all at one time, then you're out. <laughs> and you have too much at one time. And you have too much at one time. So do little bits, uh, carrots, be, uh, beets, turnips, any of the root crops, any of the leaf crops, or any of the modified stem or flower crops. So your broccolis, cabbage, cauliflowers, uh, greens like spinach and mustard and kale and lettuces, and, of course, uh, radishes, beets, carrots, turnips, all of the root things. Um, and, and just keep going. Make sure you keep them well fertilized. Um, you want to start watching uh, some of your early ripening citrus fruits. Here about Thanksgiving, you know, you'll start to get some of the early tangerines. Uh, maybe even the navel oranges will start ripening. So, yeah, be looking for that. So it's a great time to garden because now that it, it isn't so much like work because it's cooler, <laughs> it's a lot more pleasant and a lot more fun to garden this time of year, I think, than in the summertime. So just tons of things that you can be doing. Winter lawns. So if we've mowed them once or twice, we want to fertilize those, uh, keep, them, keep them well fed so that when we get that first cold snap, that first frost, they don't yellow out. Uh, once they do that and it's cold, it's hard for those fertilizers to be effective. It's hard for them to green back up. Stay ahead of the curve. So stay ahead of the curve on your winter lawns. Um, yeah, just just enjoy it now. Pl- flowers. So all of the really neat flowers that most of the country plants in the summertime, we plant this time of year. Pansies and petunias and geraniums and alyssum and lobelia. And you could still plant bulbs like daffodils and things like that. So... It's a great time of year to be doing that. My favorite part of fall is filling all my big container pots with fresh flowers, and I couldn't wait for the petunias this year. 
Aren't they fun? Just have color in the pots rather than just like dead stuff. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> it got really well, bad yeah, that last month. It's, it's it gets pretty dreary looking in in August yeah. and early September. Yeah, yeah. even Vinca looks bad. Yep. So, Miss Joyce, how do you tie in that heritage gardening? Do you do you just do the three sisters in that garden, or you do everything? Well, I I do mainly the three sisters in the Native American heritage garden, but then also we talk about when the Spanish came to the southern Arizona region. They brought all of the Mediterranean crops with them. So the people in southern Arizona, typically um, the Native Americans would use the monsoons, which is June, uh, July, August, September, for their gardens. And so it was really dependent that they had a good crop then during the monsoons, and then they would store their food throughout the winter. So there were, could be some very, really tough times. When the Spanish came in, they brought in things like almonds, apricots, uh, wheat, pomegranates, figs, the, the citrus fruits, uh, fava beans, um, garbanza, all kinds of peas, barleys, that kind of thing, which grew well through the cool season, and that really extended the, the people's diet. So um, wheat in particular in, southern, in the southern Arizona replaced corn. So um, right now, I do a, a small demonstration garden talking about the same plants that John was talking about, the root crops, the beets, the turnips, uh, broccoli, cabbage. And they do pretty well through the whole season. Uh, last year, even it snowed a little bit on my broccoli, and it, it still was <laughs> fine. Snow on the broccoli. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really interesting to hear how different food came, you know, it added layers of different crops that we could have, and we have the benefit of being able to do all of them now. Yes, and that's what makes this region so, so rich in its cuisine. As a matter of fact, Tucson is a city of gastronomy by UNESCO, and that's because of these really rich and unique food systems and the agricultural um, history that we've had for thousands of years and how that food has made this wonderful southwestern cuisine. Well, we control our water, then we control what we can grow and when we can grow it, basically. So when they only had water for a certain period of time and only could store so much water to water things, you just had to plant when you knew it was going to get sufficient moisture. Now we just turn the faucet on or set the drip system to run at a certain time and you know, we, we take that for granted. And right. see, it's not as much work. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that was work. That's, well, that back, yeah, well, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we, we just play it. It wasn't gardening for fun then. It no, was gardening it was for just, survival. Yeah. <laughs> gardening for survival. And there were plenty of critters back then that really interfered with that survival. Oh, and sure. I, and I, I have that in my garden. Um, rabbits, pocket gophers, ground squirrels, rock squirrels, road runners, you name it, we have it. Havelina. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah just dig your garden yeah. up. <laughs> and back in the ancient times, people called that field game, and they, would, they welcomed that because they would just use that to put it in the pot, and it would go with everything else. But... Um, that's, you know, certainly something you have to, gardeners have to deal with now in well, various ways. Well, even Greg Peterson, our urban farmer at 12th Street and Bethany, basically. Yeah, roughly. Reported yeah. a raccoon last week. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Had to chase a raccoon out of his yard. There's oh, raccoons sure. all over Camelback Mountain. Houses on Camelback Mountain, <laughs> Mummy Mountain. There's raccoons all over the place. There. Yeah. And they're big. They're, they're big and they're pretty mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have a couple callers we'll come back to after this break, huh? We will. We'll get to them. We've got Robert. 
uh, calling from Florence and one more caller yet being screened. We're here with John J. Harper and Joyce Rickner from Oro Valley. Joyce, again, we appreciate you coming up. It was such a joy to hear your presentation actually out in the garden. I want to come back, take these callers, and talk a little bit about how our listeners may be able to meet and greet you in your garden at Steam Pump Ranch. What a great Arizona Saturday morning out in your backyard, out in your garden. Or if you'd like, take a drive down to Oro Valley and meet Miss Joyce Richter, Education Coordinator for Oro Valley Historic Society. But she spends a lot of time in the Heritage Garden at Steam Pump Ranch. Talk a little bit about how would people get a chance to meet and greet you and see the work you're doing down there. Every second Saturday of the month, during um, from October through May, um, between nine and twelve, I'm usually in the garden there doing demonstrations, along with um, Alan Denoyer from Archaeology Southwest. So you can come see me there every second Saturday, and then also the Town of Oro Valley does special events. So go to the website <coughs> Town of Oro Valley, and you can see all the special events we have at Steam Pump Ranch. You can also look under Parks and Recreation on the website of Town of Oro Valley. Fantastic. Well, thanks a million for taking the time to run up and spend this time with our listeners throughout the great state of Arizona. You may, you may, you may have somebody from Wikiup pull in and say, hey, I heard you on a Rosie on the House show. <laughs> well, I'm a big garden enthusiast, and I say everybody start it. No matter how small, you'd be amazed at what can come from it. All right, let's see if we can grab Robert real quick, and then we'll need to be wrapping up here. Robert from Florence, Arizona. Good morning. He's not on yet. A orange-lemon hybrid. Um, it's about four and a half years old, and it has not produced anything. We have a kumquat that's in the yard also. That's producing fruit. But um, I just no buds, no nothing on this uh, orange-lemon tree. I was wondering, is it, I mean, should we be cutting that down, pruning it? Or, I mean, I did put citrus fertilizer spikes in it, so it should be getting good nutrition. Well, you don't want to prune it. Um, and it does take some citrus varieties five to six years to start setting fruit. Kumquats are a little bit different. They're a small dwarfer variety, and, and they'll produce multiple crops in a year, very heavy producers. So I wouldn't panic yet. Keep the fertilizer up. I'd encourage you to use more of a granular fertilizer that's broadcast more evenly around the, the entire trunk of the or entire spread of the tree as opposed to the fertilizer stakes, however. So maybe tr switch that up. That might help. John Jay, thanks a million for coming in this morning. Really yeah, appreciate it. Miss Joyce, thank you a bunch for coming in. Really appreciate it. We'll see you at Steampump Ranch. <laughs> thank you. All right. Babe, you've got some updates on the calendar. Well, it's time to get your name in. If you want a copy of our calendar, just email us at info at rosieonthehouse.com. If you're not already one of our newsletter receivers, be sure you give us your full name and address so we can mail that out to you. It's free. It's going to have tips on what to do each month for your home. Romy's worked hard to get some great photography from our homeowners. The pictures are just amazing. And um, some coupons and stuff at the bottom, just a real nice um, thing to have and hang up in your house and keep track of your home. We've been asked to produce this for years just give us a calendar rosie and tell us what we need to be doing at our house each month just to kind of keep up so that 
when we do have a free weekend coming and we we have all of Roger Naylor's books and we pick a trail that he's been on and a hamburger joint he's eaten at and a milkshake shop that he recommends that we want to go see, we have the free time to go do it. So it's a free calendar. It's our first ever. The response has been has really amazing. been a yes. little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So we've had to up our original projected publication quantity, which is very humbling. Uh, we appreciate that uh, y'all are liking it that much. And uh, I don't know, without Romy here, I can't say when we're actually ready to deliver it. When are, when are we actually going to print? I, I think it's going to print this month, so it should be ready. You know, If you put your name in now, we'll get those mailed out before the first of the year, and you'll be ready to go. So you're pre-ordering at this point. Yes, absolutely. And, and how would people do that? Go to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Just email us there with your full name and contact, you know, mailing address. We can get that. It's funny the different responses. I think this was get better and different each year, but, you know, more people, people want it digitally. But there's a lot of people who want just give me the calendar. I don't want QR codes. I don't want anything fancy. I want the calendar to hang up and so I can just access that information right there in front of me. We're including coupons that will give you discounts when you're shopping or getting home services provided by Rosie on the House partners throughout the state of Arizona. We have actual content and tips driving uh, a focus of what you should be getting done at the house and, or in the yard that particular month. And some darn good, cool photography pretty provided well. by Arizona homeowners that submitted hundreds of pictures. And then we had our listeners vote and we picked the 12 best pictures actually we picked 13 but Romy cheated he put one of his in there and we and had to and, and he won and we had to disqualify his picture he was pretty tickled he won <laughs> but he didn't put it in the calendar <laughs> so uh sign up to get your calendar at rosyonthehouse.com it is like everything we do for the Arizona homeowner it is 100% totally free it's just one more way we strive to become Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. If you own a home or want to own a home, we don't want you to touch that home until you check with Rosie on the House. After answering homeowners' questions for 30 years, our website has every question we've ever been asked along with the appropriate Arizona-focused answer. It is an encyclopedia for Arizona homeownership, and it's free. I don't know what else we could do. Hope you'll take advantage of requesting a copy of your free calendar. We've got the Registrar of Contractors coming in. The 9 o'clock hour, we'll be talking about what's going on and about and around the legislative arm of the state, what we're doing at Career Days, which was just this last past weekend. As well, we've got David Byrne from Green ID coming in at 9.30 talking about home energy audits. Y'all stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss a minute of this.